true gospel of the Son of God has always been opposed by those who are caught within the throes of sin. For many, there is simply too much light, too much truth, and too much intelligence. Others who resist the gospel have found its principles too pure, too noble, and much too elevating to accord with their chosen lifestyle. In all ages of the world since Adam's time, the gospel of Jesus Christ has always met opposition whenever and wherever it has been proclaimed. This negative spirit challenges the truths of God and concerns his servants even today. The heavens have been opened to holy men of various ages. In each case, the receiver of the vision has been rejected by his fellow men. Sometimes his life has been sought and he has had no peace upon the earth. Prophets and apostles, even the Lord Jesus Christ, have met such adversity and challenges. The true gospel of Christ is very unpopular with the world. If there is anyone listening who is deeply troubled by the apparent criticism thrown against us periodically, let me say that we have a glorious array of predecessors who have been persecuted and who have met opposition time and time again. It is a source of consolation and encouragement that we do not stand alone in this respect. In former times, saints of God have been challenged and scorned for no other cause than for preaching the truth in its fullness and purity and for standing up in defense of holy and pure principles revealed from God. In fact, the trials that they have been called upon to pass through, instead of being an evidence against, they are evidence in the favor of the truth of the work they have been engaged in. The Lord Jesus said, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. He warned his disciples of the danger when their names were honored and when all men spoke well of them. In a real sense, we as Latter-day Saints are also being warned when our names are being honored in connection with all men speaking well of us. We need to renew our humility, dedication, and commitment. My beloved saints of God, let us remember the warning from our prophets. Others will he pacify and lull them away into that carnal security that they will say, all is well in Zion. If any one of us finds ourselves in that position, it is time for renewed humility, commitment, and dedication. When the Lord came to Jerusalem, he was rejected and despised by many from the day of his birth until his Golgothic death. He spoke and taught as none had ever done before. 
He worked as none had ever done before. He performed miracles and wonderful works among men. But what kind of treatment did he receive? He was rejected by those who were supposed to have loved him. He was buffeted, scourged, mobbed, and led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus, a being in whom there was no guile, bore the rough hewn cross which tore at his back as he hung in agony upon the cruel handicraft of men. Scribes, Sadducees, and Pharisees did not welcome him with open arms, nor did the learned, the wise, and the noble hail him. Then need we expect the world to embrace and welcome us with open arms? Joseph Smith knew and understood by the teachings given unto him of God and angels what he had to do. He was called of the Lord and raised up for this very purpose. He too was not popular among men, nor did the world clamor for his wisdom. Until the day of his death, he was persecuted and reviled for living and teaching the gospel. His blood sealed his testimony. In the Lord's own day, the proclamation was, Can there anything good thing come out of Nazareth? Likewise, the life and teachings of Joseph Smith did not appeal to those with worldly thoughts. Joseph Smith's teachings came into conflict with man-made traditions and prejudices. The cry in Joseph Smith's day was much the same as in the day of the Savior. Can anything good come out of Palmyra? Can anything good come of, from Joseph Smith? Today we hear a similar cry. Can anything good come from the Mormon people? Can good be wrought from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Falsehoods are spoken about the true saints of God. These will continue to abound until the coming of the Son of God. The saints of God in all ages have passed through these tests of opposition. Those of today find themselves in no different position. Until evil is bound, this shall ever be the case. This is one of the legacies to the elect saints of God while here mortality. Opposition may be our companion, adversity our fate, until the Lord comes in a cloud of glory. Latter-day Saints, this is our legacy. We may depend upon it. Said Jesus, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore the world hateth you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. They have hated me. They will hate you. And if they persecute me, they will persecute you also. What if some of us have to sacrifice all that we have for the gospel and the testimony of Christ? The saints have done this in the past, and I am sure the saints of today have the faith, the courage to do whatever the Lord asks them to do. Should we complain or murmur if we are asked to sacrifice in defending the true gospel of the Son of God?
The Lord Jesus was poor from the manger to the cross. He descended below all things that he might arise above all. Should we complain if we face challenges ourselves? As an individual, as one who has walked a path of poverty and trials, I am beginning to learn the value of such experiences. The Lord has always been my faith, strength, and courage. I want nothing but the best for my family and others. I desire salvation and eternal life for my family and for my fellow men. I will pray for our critics and enemies. I will be patient and long-suffering towards them and will return kindness, prayer, and righteousness. There is no stopping the true work of God. Some men may resent it. The world may reject it. They may use every means and all their power against this work. But the work of God will roll forth and will gather every honest soul throughout the earth sooner or later. We have the promise of God that this is his work, and it shall never be overthrown in this, the last dispensation of the fullness of times. Are we ready, as the saints of God, to endure all things for the sake of the souls of our fellow men? We have gone from continent to continent, from land to land, from island to island, wherever there was a door open to preach the gospel. We have left our homes, our families and wives and children. Some have sacrificed their lives for the salvation of our fellow men. Some have gone without purse or script. Some have faced shame and ridicule, even persecution. We shall continue to do this until we have taken this beloved gospel to the ends of the earth. This message of salvation and eternal life has been entrusted to us. Every person shall hear the glad tidings of salvation. They shall hear the blessings of God or his condemnation according to their willingness to receive or their determination to reject the gospel. This work is a never-ending work which we have taken upon ourselves. It will never terminate until this earth shall be redeemed until the power of Satan shall be subdued, until wickedness shall be banished from the earth, until Christ reigns, whose right it is to reign, until every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In due course of time, all will be redeemed who may be redeemed. God, our Heavenly Father, desires that we should be long-suffering and patient toward those who seek to afflict and oppressed us, just as he is long-suffering toward all of his children, in spite of their wickedness and waywardness. Men of God who hold the holy priesthood are the head and heart of the Lord's true church. We do not have the priesthood for self-aggrandizement or to be used to oppress anyone. There is no priesthood of the Son of God that authorizes any one man to oppress another are to intrude upon his rights in any way. We ought to be a brother and a friend to all men everywhere. We ought not to entertain a big I and a little you feeling toward our neighbors and fellow men. Men of God who are approachable and compassionate are putting honor upon the holy priesthood of God. If there are any in our own flock who err, 
Let us try to reclaim them by kindness and long-suffering. If there are any among us who, have, who has a bad spirit, let us show them a better spirit. If there are any among us who do not do right, let us do right ourselves and say to them, Come, follow me. Amen to the priesthood or the authority of any man of God who exercises control, dominion, or compulsion upon a fellow being outside of the Church or a fellow member in the Church in any degree of unrighteousness. I pray that our conduct, our conduct by, day, by day will be such that it will bear examination and scrutiny by our fellow men and also by our Heavenly Father. I pray that we will be willing to stand by this gospel, this testimony, and this work in life, in death, in time, in all eternity. I pray that every Latter-day Saint will let his prayers ascend into the ears of our Father in heaven day and night, whether in family circles or in private places, for the Lord to sustain his leaders and people to build up a Zion and to fulfill his, fulfill his promises. I pray that every Latter-day Saint will pray for the First Presidency of this Church and pray for his apostles and leaders. History will record one day that President Hinckley was one of the strongest counselors that the Church ever had. Let us uphold him by our faith and by our prayers. President Hinckley has a tremendous burden that he's carrying today. I bear testimony in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that this work is true. I know that no earthly power can destroy it, even the combined forces and powers of all the nations and the whole world cannot stop or retard this work because the great Elohim and Jehovah has spoken it. I bear testimony that the principles of the gospel will live on even if the earth wastes away. There is no power beneath the heavens that can hinder, stop, or destroy the progress of the truth and the decrees of God, our eternal Father in heaven. I bear testimony that the destiny of every individual, every prince, every emperor, every king, president, states, statesman, our ruler under heaven is in the hands of God. He made the world and all that is in it. They may not go further than the master permits. Adversity will purify Zion. Opposition will make us stronger in our courage and firmer in our faith. I bear testimony that this work will continue to roll forth in strength and power throughout all the earth until all things which have been predicted by the prophets are fulfilled. May the Lord bless all the saints of God throughout the world. May he bless all the house of Israel, all of the dispersed of every tribe, all the righteous, the pure, the holy and good in every nation is my humble prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If our faith be united in prayer that we may be edified together, I should like to speak about our quest 
for self-mastery. In so doing, I would converse as a loving father, counseling one of my own children. Before you can master yourself, my precious one, you need to know who you are. You consist of two parts, your physical body and your spirit which lives within your body. You may have heard the expression, mind over matter. Well, that's what I'd like to talk about, but phrase it a little differently. Spirit over body. That is self-mastery. When you arrived as a newborn baby, your little body was master. You had what I call the I want what I want when I want it philosophy. No amount of discussion could postpone your impatient demands when you wanted to be fed. And now, like all parents, we anxiously anticipated the first smile, a word, a glimpse at the potential of the spirit within your tiny body. Is there a mother who has not cradled her baby, as your sweet mother did, in wistful wonder of the destiny of her dear little one? Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, might have asked such questions. Baby, lying in a manger, slumbering so sweetly, what you going to be? Baby, all the world is watching, all the world awaits to see, what will you be? Baby, sleeping in a stable underneath the heaven, what you going to say? Baby, lying in a manger, Will you save the world one day? Through those early years, we parents are properly concerned with physical needs of our children, such as food, clothing, and shelter. But as you grow older, our concerns shift more toward your spiritual growth in order that you might achieve your full potential. For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and becometh a saint. That requires self-mastery. Remember, the spirit and the body are the soul of man. Both are of great importance. Your physical body is a magnificent creation of God. It is His temple as well as yours and must be treated with reverence. Scripture declares, Ye are the temple of God. If any man defile it, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Remarkable as your body is, its prime purpose is even of greater importance, to serve as tenement for your spirit. Abraham taught that these spirits existed before. They shall have no end, for they are eternal. Your spirit acquired a body at birth and became a soul to live in mortality through periods of trial and testing. Part of each test is to determine if your body can become mastered by the spirit that dwells within it. Although your spirit had a veil of forgetfulness placed over it at the time of your birth in immortality, it retained its power to remember all that happens, precisely recording each event of life. Indeed, scriptures warn that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. 
prophets refer to our bright recollection and perfect remembrance at that day of decision. Since thoughts precede deeds, you must first learn to control your thoughts. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. In your quest for self-mastery, full participation in the activities of the Church will help. I'll mention but a few. A first step comes as we learn together to keep the Sabbath day holy. This is one of the Ten Commandments. We honor the Sabbath to pay our devotions unto the Most High, and because the Lord declared it is a sign between me and you that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Another step toward self-mastery comes when you are old enough to observe the law of the fast. As funds are contributed from meals missed, the needs of the poor may be met. But meanwhile, through your spirit, you develop personal power over your body's drives of hunger and thirst. Fasting gives you confidence to know that your spirit can master appetite. Some time ago, your mother and I visited a third-world country where sanitary conditions were much poorer than ours. We joined with a delegation of other doctors from all over the world. The president of our group, an experienced traveler, warned of risks. In order to avoid water that might be contaminated, we were even counseled to brush our teeth with an alcoholic beverage. But we chose not to follow that counsel, but simply did what we'd learned to do once a month. We fasted that first day, thinking we could introduce simple food and fluids gradually thereafter. Later, we were the only ones in our group without disabling illness. <laughs> Fasting fortifies discipline over appetite and helps to protect against later uncontrolled cravings and gnawing habits. Another step toward self-mastery comes from obedience to the word of wisdom. Remember it contains a promise adapted to the capacity of the weakest of all saints. It was given in consequence of evils and designs which do and will exist in the hearts of conspiring men in the last days. Indeed, as you develop courage to say no to alcohol, tobacco, and stimulants, you gain additional strength. You can then refuse conspiring men, those seditious solicitors of harmful substances or smut. You can reject their evil enticements to your body. If you yield to anything that can addict and thus defy the word of wisdom, your spirit surrenders to the body. The flesh then enslaves the spirit. This is contrary to the purpose of your mortal existence. And in the process of such, uh, such addiction, your lifespan is likely to be shortened, thereby reducing the time available for repentance by which your spirit might attain self-mastery over your body. Other physical appeals come during your courtship period. In your youth, you may be challenged by restraints of parents hoping to guide you through this wonderful period of life. Because the adversary is keenly aware of the power of physical temptation, Alma instructed his son and all of us, See that ye bridle all your passions. 
When you marry, you and your eternal companion may then invoke the power of procreation that you may have joy and rejoicing in your posterity. This divine endowment is guarded by your Creator's law of chastity. All through the years, remember, chastity is the powerful protector of virile manhood and the crown of beautiful womanhood. In courtship and marriage, virtue seems to come under attack first. Mental turmoil that trails in the wake of weakness in lust has evoked many a tear from innocent loved ones. Without repentance, tumult within self does not quit either. Shakespeare expressed such self-conflict as one of his characters contemplating conquest in lust spoke these lines. What win I if I gain the thing I seek? A dream, a breath, a froth of fleeting joy? Who buys a minute's mirth to wail a week or sells eternity to get a toy? For one sweet grape, who would the vine destroy? Prophets have repeatedly cautioned about moral sin. One, for example, warned, O my beloved brethren, remember the awfulness in transgressing against that holy God, and also the awfulness of yielding to the enticings of that cunning one. Remember to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life eternal. Now, don't misunderstand me. I would not want you to neglect your body. It deserves daily care. Physical conditioning through regular exercise requires self-mastery, too. I marvel at Elder Joseph Anderson, now in his 96th year. For decades, the strength of his spirit over his body has induced him to swim regularly. But his motivation has never been to attain physical longevity. That's come only incidentally. His desire has been to serve God and His anointed. Elder Anderson has followed what I label as the Lord's prescription for a long and useful life. Those faithful in magnifying their calling are sanctified by the Spirit unto the renewing of their bodies. They become the elect of God. Elder Anderson's exercise program agrees with the perspective of Paul, who said, Bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Handsome and fit, Elder Anderson personifies this scripture. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, as you work during the productive years of life, whether at home or in the field, in the factory, or at a workbench, reputation is built and character is forged as you develop self-mastery. Faithful payment of tithing is part of that process. It defends you against dishonesty or shabby temptations. Courageous accountability for your own actions becomes a cherished prize. It really matters what you listen to, what you look at, what you think, 
say, and do. Select music that will strengthen your spirit, control your speech, keep it free from profanity and vulgarity. Follow the teachings of this proverb, My mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing perverse in them. As you approach old age, you will face new challenges to self-mastery. Symptoms of the deteriorating body can be painful, even disabling. Deep aches of sadness are caused by the departing of loved ones. For some, these deepening trials come early in life. But when yours are thrust upon you, remember a concept expressed by my father some time after my mother had passed away. Your grandparents had been married for sixty-four years. When someone asked how he was doing, my father simply stated, I'm lonely, but I'm not lonesome. Do you know what he meant? Though he was now without a sweetheart, he was so busy assisting family and friends, he had replaced sorrow with service and had displaced self-pity with selfless love. He had found joy in following the timeless example of the Master. Jesus, our Savior, was born in the lowliest of circumstances. For his baptism, he was immersed in the lowest body of fresh water upon the planet. In service and suffering, he also descended below all things that he could rise above all things. Near the end of his life, he triumphantly declared, I have overcome the world. Look to me, and endure to the end, and ye shall live. For unto him that endureth to the end will I give eternal life. Scriptures tutor us at least twenty-six times to endure to the end to attain eternal life. Then we will obtain a resurrected body, one that is incorruptible, glorified, and prepared to live in the presence of God. To reach your highest destiny, emulate the Savior. He proclaimed, What manner of men ought ye to be, even as I am? Our loftiest hope is to grow in spirit and attain the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children. You will then be well prepared for that pending day of judgment when, as taught by President Spencer W. Kimball, the soul composed of the resurrected body and the eternal spirit will come before the great judge to receive its final assignment for the eternity. Remember, my dear one, not an age in life passes without temptation, trial, or torment experienced through your physical body. But as you prayerfully develop self-mastery, desires of the flesh may be subdued, and when that has been achieved, you may have the strength to submit to your Heavenly Father, as did Jesus, who said, Not my will, but thine be done. When deepening trials come your way, 
Remember this glorious promise of the Savior. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. Christ is our great exemplar. I declare as a special witness that he is the Son of God and is the life and light of the world. We develop self-mastery as we become like him. I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, I love the spirit of adventure in life, but I love more the adventures of the spirit. I'm comfortable with the positive connotations of the word adventure. I like Webster's definitions, an exciting, remarkable experience, disposed to cope with the new and unknown, a willingness or eagerness for new undertakings. In my life, I've enjoyed many so-called adventures, such as hunting exotic game, jaguars, alligators, water skiing on rivers full of man-eating piranha fish, an expedition into the danger-filled Amazon jungle looking for gold plates with a religious history on them, single-engine flights in my own airplanes, the length of the hemisphere, the width of the continents. Even this Miss America year has been an exciting Cinderella-like adventure. One modern philosopher says it's an amazing adventure to be born upon this wandering island in the sky, and it's an adventure to leave it when death calls, or to go to school, to make friends, to marry, to rear children, to face through life the swift changes of circumstance that no man can certainly predict even an hour ahead. I'm grateful that the scriptures encourage us to discover new horizons and to have adventures of the mind and study things in heaven and in the earth and under the earth, things which have been, things which are, things which must shortly come to pass, the perplexities of the nations, a knowledge of countries and of kingdoms. And why should we have an adventurous mind or an adventurous spirit? The Lord says that ye may be prepared in all things, First, to magnify the calling whereunto I have called you, and second, the mission with which I have commissioned you. Of the many adventures I've enjoyed in my life, the greatest, the very greatest, have been the soul-stirring missionary adventures. Let me encourage you faithful married couples without children at home to go on missions. The Lord needs you out in the mission field. Forget your fears. We don't expect you to do everything the young missionaries do. In fact, I was in Idaho trying to eliminate the fears of some high priests, and I said, you retired couples don't have to memorize scriptures like the young missionaries. You don't have to memorize any presentations unless you want to. I told them, you don't even have to get up early in the morning like the young missionaries do to study. And if it's raining or snowing, you don't have to go outside until you feel up to it. At that point, a fellow down in the middle shot up his hand and said, When can I go? That's a better life than I've got now. (laughs) 
Joe and Zella Wendell went on a mission. Her legs were bothering her, and they got worse in the mission instead of better. She wrote home, I thought we were just to work in the office, but now we find we're to proselyte also. But my knees are so bad, we just can't go out looking for people, so we're praying very hard to find someone right here in our apartment building. In three months, they had three baptisms, new move-ins to their apartment building. That missionary couple are my parents here present today. Walter and Ernestine Walzer were called to Peru. Former Bishop Walzer was soon called as a branch president in the remote interior mountains. With his limited MTC Spanish, Elder Walzer had to choose counselors, hold meetings, teach, train, reactivate, ordain, and so on. In fasting and prayer, he received impressions from the Spirit and went about his work. Elder Walzer wrote, I learned that even with limited language, whenever it was needed, enough Spanish was given to me to communicate, and I knew it was from the Lord. Like many adventures, there were hardships and sacrifices, but the Walzer said that the genuine love and affection of those wonderful Peruvian people and the feeling of being needed more than compensated. They're grateful for their spiritual adventure in serving the Lord. Now, you young unmarried sisters from 21 to 69 with good health, there's no obligation to serve, but you're certainly welcome and wanted if the Spirit encourages you to volunteer. Let me tell you about two lady missionaries who called at a home one morning before the husband went to work. They were welcomed in, so they immediately told about Joseph Smith's first vision and the angel Moroni, the gold plates, the restoration of the priesthood. Then the senior companion, noting that about 45 minutes had gone by, said, We'd like to return next week to tell you more. To which the husband exclaimed, Next week? He walked to the door, locked it, put the key in his pocket, and said, You're not leaving here till you've told us all you know about Joseph Smith and this restored gospel. They were there all day long. And the family asked for baptism that very same evening. Now, you young men, unmarried, 19 to 26, 18 outside the USA, healthy and worthy. From the time of the recent prophets, the spiritual adventure of a mission has been emphasized as a priesthood responsibility of such priority that again today we stress your mission comes before marriage, education, professional opportunities, scholarships, sports, cars, or girls. President Kimball said, should every young man fill a mission? The answer has been given by the Lord. It is yes. Every man should, every young man should fill a mission. President Kimball then equated this command, this instruction of going on a mission with the commandments of paying tithing, of observing the Sabbath, of marrying in the temple. In 24 months, you young men will have 24 years' worth of spiritual adventures. You'll see people change, soften, become more humble, more obedient, have their prayers answered, and come to a knowledge that our message is true. Let me illustrate. Two elders met and taught a professor with credentials from Heidelberg and La Sorbonne. His mind was not open to their message, but the man had to go to the hospital for surgery. While recuperating in the hospital, his yard and garden suffered. The two missionaries felt impressed to use their preparation day 
to mow his lawn, trim the hedge, weed the flowers. The wife told her husband what they had done. He sent for the elders to come to the hospital, and with tears in his eyes, he said, Never in my entire adult life has anyone ever gone out of their way to do anything for me. His demeanor changed. He listened to the missionary discussions. Previously skeptical, he now paid rapt attention, visibly became more meek and humble. He prayed for the first time since he was a child, and he received a testimony and was baptized. Two missionaries asked a new family to kneel in prayer, and the senior companion, not knowing why, asked the husband to move over by his wife and take her hand. He hesitated, and the missionary simply said, Well, that's what my mom and dad do at home. Please take your wife by the hand. After they were baptized, the husband and wife tearfully confessed that they were on the verge of divorce when they met the missionaries. The husband had already moved out of the home. He was just there to visit the children when the missionaries appeared. The husband said that as, as, as his hands touched his wife's, a healing spirit came over them. Love replaced the wounds and the misunderstandings. They forgave each other, and the husband came home. Another man said he would not go to church, but yes, that his family could go. The missionaries told him that they would always save him a seat right by the door in case he changed his mind. One Sunday he was prompted to go to church, even though his family had left without him. From the foyer he could see his family seated with the missionaries and a space at the end of the pew vacant and easily accessible. He entered the little chapel, and his footsteps were heard. The missionaries turned their heads, and when they saw him, tears came to their eyes. And after baptism, the husband would say, Never in my life had anyone ever cried out of happiness just to see me enter a room. A new senior companion faced a sophisticated lady lawyer who was polite but very intellectual. When the missionary asked her who the boy prophet saw in the column of light, she answered, I am an atheist. The elder didn't really understand the implication, so he repeated the question. She answered again, I am an atheist. You want me to say that Joseph Smith saw the father and the son, but I don't believe in God. The elder had never encountered an atheist before. And his first impulse was to give up and leave. But the Spirit said, No, she'll listen. Just answer the questions for her. So the elder proceeded and said, You are right. He saw the father and the son. <laughs> he continued with the presentation, and instead of asking questions directly, he then asked them indirectly and answered them himself for her. At the end of the presentation, he taught, how we pray, and then courageously ask her to kneel with them and to be the voice. She did kneel and did pray to her Heavenly Father. Never again did she say that she was an atheist. She and her family subsequently were baptized. In the mission field, more than anywhere else, you can enjoy those adventures of the Spirit we call thin veil experiences and liquid fire experiences, the things so spiritual and miraculous that tongue cannot adequately confess, nor the hand of man appropriately write. The missionary has his own voyages of discovery into the realms of the Spirit, and he sees others uplifted with those heartwarming, 
peace-producing, mind-opening encounters of a spiritual kind, which I choose to call adventures, adventures of the Spirit. For example, a verse of the Scriptures that glows in your mind like Joseph reading in James. A prayer the Lord responds to with an outpouring of His love so intense that a yes or no answer doesn't really matter. A hymn with poetic words of condensed spirituality that cause the soul to soar heavenward. An unselfish act of service, feeling as if you were serving perhaps even the Savior Himself. The sacrament covenant to take Christ's name upon oneself pierces the soul so deeply that Christ's atonement truly becomes a personal saving experience, a rebirth. A newly placed Book of Mormon causing an inquisitive person to read half the night in an exciting discovery of the newfound witness for Christ. The bad men who become good, the good men and women who become better, the great people who become greater, more Christ-like through the gospel, be instruments in His hands. Build up treasures in heaven. Discover the missionary adventures of the Spirit. God lives and loves us. He is in His heaven. Jesus lives and loves us, resurrected, glorified, exalted. He stands physically at the head of this church which bears His name. His spokesman is a living prophet, and everything that we teach is true. As a witness, I testify of it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Over 1,900 years ago, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the saints at Ephesus, declared, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. How far we have drifted over the intervening years, for now there are more than a thousand different churches claiming to be Christian. For the first 24 years of my life, I was an active member of one of this multitude of churches of Christendom. However, I had many unanswered questions which prompted me to listen to the young Mormon missionaries when they knocked on our door in England. Similar questions remain unanswered for millions of people who claim membership in some church but do not have a clear understanding of the Savior's teachings. I would therefore like to suggest ten questions which members of any church might ask our missionaries or indeed any Latter-day Saint. My life was changed along with my dear wife's as we met with the missionaries, asked questions, and prayed to know the truth. Question number one, why doesn't God speak to us today? My wife and I grew up as teenagers during the Second World War, and this question often came to our minds. We felt strongly the need for God's guidance then as we do today in these challenging and perilous times. Anciently, through the prophet Amos, the Lord had declared, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, or prophets. I never felt that revelations had ceased just because those already given had been bound into a book, the Holy Bible. It was not until five years after the hostilities of war had ceased that I received the answer. God does speak again through prophets, and revelation once more flows down from the heavens. These and many other wonderful truths enlightened our minds and lifted our souls as the missionaries taught us. 
How exciting to realize we are living in the latter days, the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. How wonderful to learn of another book of Scripture, the Book of Mormon, revealed through a latter-day prophet as another testament of Jesus Christ. Question number two, what is God like? The Lord himself in his beautiful intercessory prayer petitioned, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. What a contrast to the teachings of most churches that it is a mystery, that we cannot know and should not know what God is like. How wonderful that the Almighty God has identified himself to us through his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. He has revealed himself as our Father in heaven who wants us, his children, to keep in touch with him while we are away from our heavenly home. Ask a little child to close his eyes and think of God and then describe him. Will he describe a spirit? No, he will tell of a loving, kindly-faced, white-robed personal being. In his epistle to the Hebrews, Paul describes Jesus in relation to God the Father as being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Yes, the Holy Bible answers the question as to what God is like, but people have been led astray by non-biblical teachings and by half-truths. To correct the traditions of error handed down through the centuries, God himself has appeared in a pillar of light, together with his beloved son, Jesus Christ, to the prophet Joseph Smith. Question number three, what does your teach, church teach about family life? The strength and moral fiber of a nation is in its families, and any church purporting to be Christian must cherish family life, both as a precious God-given heritage and as a pr priceless promised inheritance. I shall be eternally grateful that our missionary teachers expanded our vision of family significantly. They encouraged us to gather our children around us night and morning in family prayer. We were then introduced to Family Home Evening, an institution in Latter-day Saint homes throughout the world. It is indeed a great anchor and fortress to gather together at least one evening a week to discuss application of gospel principles, have health, happy, healthful activity, develop talents within the family circle, and to pray together. We often reminisce about the family home evenings we have had over the years, but there is something to be prized even more. Although previously married until death do you part, we have now been married in a Latter-day Saint temple for time and eternity. Our family can be forever. Question number four. How can God be just if baptism is essential and many die without knowing this? I had been baptized by sprinkling as a baby, but I came to realize that baptism is for remission of my own sins, not for Adam's or anyone else's transgressions. I was happy to learn that little children need no baptism, for they, in, but they are innocent until the age of accountability. But what of those who were accountable, who had not received baptism before dying? I remember a fine minister visiting Salt Lake City from South Africa who came to my office inquiring, what is the basis for your doctrine of baptism for the dead? Is baptism essential, I asked? Yes, he responded. Do you believe God is just? Of course, he replied. Then what of those who died without baptism, I inquired, and he indicated that he had often wondered about that. I asked whether he had overlooked Paul's teaching. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? The minister looked at me and quietly said, 
thank you for explaining that doctrine. I was glad he had been enlightened, but sad that he and so many others had failed to see before. Yes, our Father in heaven loves all of his children and has provided a way for every one of them to return to him. Question number five, if God loves us so much, why doesn't he warn us about the evils of alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs? So many of our God's children degrade themselves by becoming chemically dependent. He is concerned, and in the year 1833, he gave such a warning through the Latter-day Prophet Joseph Smith. This health law is called the word of wisdom. Oh, that the world would heed this counsel from the Lord through a prophet. For a great part of the crime, sickness, and unhappiness in the world is drug-related. Question number six. How does your church care for you and fulfill your needs in addition to your word of wisdom? Over the years of my membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I have greatly appreciated the opportunities for service, for there is no paid ministry. Every worthy male member of the church above the age of 12 may hold an office in the priesthood. Similarly, the girls and women of the church receive many assignments to lead and teach and serve. Each family is visited monthly by priesthood home teachers who care for their needs and by visiting teachers from the Women's Relief Society, whose motto is, Charity Never Faileth. We also enjoy all kinds of physical, spiritual, and social activity and receive instruction uh, on some such subjects as home pro- uh, fa- personal and family preparedness and home production and storage. For those who fall on hard times due to unemployment or sickness, help is given to rehabilitate and reestablish. Such assistance comes from the general membership who fast two meals each month and, and give them money to relieve the poor and the needy. Yes, the Lord does watch over us and counsel us and warn us through his appointed and ordained ministers. These teachings and inspired programs are now being shared with God's children all over the world. Question number seven, why do you send missionaries all over the world when most churches concentrate on third world countries? I must confess that that question was on my mind when the young men knocked on our door and announced they were missionaries. Having studied the New Testament, I should have known the answer, for the Savior gave it so clearly as he instructed his apostles just before his ascension, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The fact that the Lord gave the commission is sufficient justification for carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. People of all nations need the truth and purpose and happiness which the fullness of the gospel brings. Everyone should be interested in truth, and so we say to people of all faiths, keep all the truth you have and we will add to it. This is why tens of thousands of young men and women and well over a thousand retired couples are voluntarily giving 18 months to two years, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world. Question number eight. What is your understanding of the purpose of life? In its basic form, this question might be expressed as, why am I here? There is a yearning deep down in all people note to know the answer in order to live a purposeful life. As all loving parents do, our Heavenly Father has made a plan for us, His children, before this earth ever existed. In that period of time which we call the pre-existence, we live with God as His spirit children. In order for us to progress further, it was necessary for us to experience mortality by receiving a physical body provided by earthly parents. Being away from the presence of God for a while, we learn to walk by faith and develop qualities which will eventually qualify us to return to our heavenly home as resurrected beings. The Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, has declared His great purpose and plan for His children 
For behold, this is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Without this period of life on earth, we can neither achieve immortality nor eternal life. Question number nine. How do you know the answers you have given are true? I know because of my testimony, which comes from deep inside me and yet is from a divine source. The wonderful missionaries brought a special gift which I received following baptism. A gift, you say? What did they buy for you that has made you so happy and made you so sure that God and Jesus live and that they speak to us in these days through prophets? No, it was not a gift purchased except by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. He promised he would send a comforter, even the Holy Ghost, to guide and bless and comfort and to testify of truth. You mean you have the gift of the Holy Ghost as was promised and bestowed in the early church? Yes. After I had come out of the up out of the water, hands were laid upon my head by one having authority from Jesus Christ himself. And I received the Holy Ghost to be my constant companion. The Holy Ghost testifies of truth. He bears witness of the Father and the Son. Question number 10. How can I know for myself that what you teach is true? To all who ask this question, the promise found in the Book of Mormon is powerful, true, and of eternal significance. And when ye shall receive these things, I would exhort you that ye would ask God the Eternal Father in the name of Christ if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost ye may know the truth of all things. Yes, my dear inquiring friend, we will add to the truth you have. For God does speak again through prophets. He has revealed himself to man in modern times. It is possible for families to be forever. For God has restored the sacred temple ordinances for the living and the dead. Furthermore, he has given us a health law, a welfare program, and a missionary system. He has revealed the purpose of life and has given us the Holy Ghost that we might testify to others and know for ourselves that this is the living church of the living Christ and that he speaks through a living prophet, even our beloved President Spencer W. Kimball. I so testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>